0: Praise the Lord. I want you to have your Bible with me. Let's have a look into uh, Luke chapter, uh, I don't know, Luke chapter something. Luke chapter 19. Thanks, musicians. You don't need to go back. Just sit around up here. We'll see if we can get through this. And we, we were sharing this morning on just uh, the whole thing of two destinies, heaven and hell. People don't like to have a message on hell, but we need it every now and then. We need to realize only two places you can go once you die. And uh, once you die, you either go one place or the other. And there's no second time round. Don't get born again as, a, as some kind of other animal or other kind of creature. There's no second time round. This is it. If this is it, you want to make the best shot of what you got. Amen? And uh, so we just... Uh, I want to just pick up and I want you to talk about the heart of God for people who are lost. The heart of God for people who are lost. Tremendous heart that God has. They want to have a time just to reach out to him at the end of the meeting and uh, just uh, allow the Spirit of God to, to, to begin to cause a fire to come in you that you might love people. In, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says Jesus states his purpose. This purpose was the Son of Man come that he might seek and save that which is lost. Jesus made it very clear people was why he came. He came for people. He came to seek people out, to seek them out, and to save them, to seek them out, to save them. That word "lost" means a person is ruined or they're on a wrong path. How many of you know someone and you look at their life, it's on a wrong path? Some of them it looks okay, but at the end of our life, we know the path we've walked, whether it was a good path or a bad path. Because the moment, within five minutes of you dying, you will know whether you walked a good path or a bad path. Within, five, within a few minutes. You'll know, and we shared about that uh, this morning. I'm going to carry on that theme next week. We're going to look at uh, the other guy. We looked at the rich man this morning, what happened to him, and the shock he got when he opened his eyes and he saw what he was in, in, in a place of torment. So Jesus came to seek and to save people who were lost. The name Jesus means Savior, the one who saves. If you're lost, terrible thing when you're lost, don't know your way. when You've got no way out of where you are, and that's where people live. Jesus came because people are lost. They don't know their way back to God and they're on a path to eternal ruin. That is the state of people. Doesn't matter how educated they are, how nice they dress, doesn't matter how smart the clothes are, how good the car is, how nice the house is, if they do not know Jesus Christ, they are on the path of ruin and they are lost. Trouble with lost people is they don't always know they're lost. And so the whole purpose of Jesus' life and ministry was to come to people who are lost he would go out of his way to connect with people who were lost. How many of you know that, how many of you have had an experience in your life where uh, several times people came to you to talk to you about the Lord and you turned them away, made fun of them or whatever for, for a lot of that till finally God got you? How many had that happen to them, eh? Oh, heaps of people, isn't it? Yeah, and God kept sending people to us and we kept fighting them. We didn't even know we were lost. We just fight them off. Don't you talk to me about religion. I'm not coming to that church. Don't you talk to me about God. I've had them get like that. I've had them get, get actually red in the face and wild in the eyes and not want to talk about these things. But we need to talk about them because they are eternally important. See? But, you know, we have to earn the right to speak, and the right to speak comes by the way we treat people. I want to show you, that not, not only did Jesus reach and touch the lives of them, I want to show you what was in his heart towards them. Because that's what you need. See, I remember when someone started to witness to me. Now, they didn't really say very much. They didn't tell me I need to get saved. They didn't tell me uh, lots of things. In fact, they didn't say a lot at all. All well, they got me to a church where God's presence started to touch my life. And then eventually got baptized in the Holy Ghost. But, so they didn't say a lot. But it was what I saw in the eyes. I remember just talking and laughing about kind of stuff I've been into and doing. And I looked in the eyes, and I saw a look in the eyes. And even tonight as I was driving down, I saw that look again. I thought, I can't believe it. It's got to be 30 years ago. And I could see those eyes. And then I, I was thinking, why, why did that affect me so much? I went on. You know what was in the eyes? One of concern for my destiny. That's what I saw, and it, it, I couldn't shake it off. I haven't shaken it off to this day. Even just driving down here, I started to, as I started to think about it, I, started to, I could see them again looking at me, and you know there was, not a, there was not a single hint of accusation or condemnation. There was just this deep, deep concern, and I realize now it was the Spirit of God flowing through the person's eyes to touch my life. And to this day, I've never been able to get rid of seeing that look. The look of someone genuinely concerned because I was lost and didn't know it. And I didn't know it. I needed Jesus to come. I needed him to come. He did come too. And uh, she was going to a Baptist church and she invited us along to a Pentecostal church. And there was a move of God on there. And that's what got us into the flow. Once you get into the place God's moving, pretty soon God's starting to touch your life. Isn't that right? So I got tricked. I came along to that church, and I laughed at them all. They were clapping and shouting and waving their hands, and people running up and down the aisle shouting because they got a miracle. And I'm thinking, this is just crazy. He used to come along and watch the show. Wow. They preached. and have an old choir. I remember preaching about how. I thought, no one's going to come up on that. And they flocked to the front. And I thought, wow. And then, then he preached against this and against that. I thought, wow, no one's going to take. They're going to walk out. Come on. Any minute now, someone's going to do a walk. And no one walked. They'll come to the front and get saved. And then I started, I went back another, I didn't go many times. I only went maybe six times in one year. That was it. But boy, it impacted me. I remember sitting there one day and looking around. I thought, and it dawned on me, they're all happy and I'm not. (laughs) Perhaps I'm the one who's funny. That was a good start, wasn't it? And then when God started moving, I remember crouching down behind people, hiding from God. Talk about lost and not knowing it. When you're lost, you don't really know it. And God needs to send people to you. And he sent people to us. He sent people to talk. And that's how God still does it. He sends people who carry his heart. Not people are going to airbash you with the Bible. People who carry the heart of God. And when you get touched by the heart of God, you're never the same. You just never, never the same again. Something happens when you sense the tremendous love he has for people. So although we're talking this morning about eternal destiny and how uh, tonight I want to just kind of get it around and get us to see the heart of God, the true heart of God. And uh, in Luke chapter 16, uh, 19, we're still there. Now, as I'm uh, going to look at verse 41 through to verse 46. Now, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city, that's the city of Jerusalem, and he wept over it. I want to underline that, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they'll not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Verse 45, then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. So now Jesus, you've got to realize the atmosphere Jesus is in was was what you'd call hyped. You think we get hyped in the meeting? Well, we do get excited, but there's a difference between hype and substance. Hype's got nothing. It's just a lot of noise. Substance is when ah, God's there. Substance. I like substance. But sometimes you've got to pump up the thing a little to get started because we're a bit sluggish. But here it is. Jesus came into the city and they're having a yelling match. They're yelling and they tear down trees. They yell, yell, yell. There's crowds making noise and the, and the religious people trying to stop the noise and it's all hyped up. It is really rocking. They are shouting. Kids are shouting. Everyone's shouting. There's like this. This is really the most important thing that happened. Ever been to one of those rock concerts and the guy comes out, the way they all shout. and yell, it was like that. And this was this the real thing, you know, the real rock star, the solid rock. Okay, so now, so Jesus coming to Jerusalem. Now look, and in the middle of that, as he begins to draw now the city, the Bible says he saw it. He looked at the city. Now you've got to realize what he was looking at. He was looking at a city, mostly which was full of hardened people. They were hardened, they were cynical, they were full of unbelief, they, were, uh, they despised God, they were corrupt, they resisted Jesus' attempts to speak to them and minister to them. They were totally and completely unsaved. Sometimes we think God loves the Christian people, but boy, does he hate those people out there. But it's not so. This is Jesus. And it says he saw the city. Now, he did more than just see it, because you can come and have a look at a city and see it, and that's it. You say, oh, well, there it is, been to Naples, seen that, I've uh, been to Rome, I've seen that, you know, just took up the picture to show I was there, got the t-shirt, we went, you know, the Colosseum. There it is, we've seen the city. Well, that wasn't like that kind of seeing. When Jesus looked at the city, he looked prophetically at it, he looked in the spirit at it, and he looked at the people, and he looked at where they were, and he looked at their destiny, and the Bible says he wept. I wanted to pick up something that his weeping says. You see, words say a lot of things, but often it's not the words that actually make the impact. See, many times it's the attitude that makes an impact. Many times it's the actions people do that makes an impact. Often the words don't really have the effect they ought to have, but many times it's actually what people are affects them. You could all remember people who actually impacted you at some time in your life. But you may not remember what they did or what they said, but all you know is, boy, that impacted me. You, you may have come in and there was a meeting and, and you got powerfully touched in a meeting by God and, and you can't even remember a thing about what we sang, can't remember what I preached about or anything like that, but all you know is you got impacted. You experienced something. So many times uh, we, can, we communicate in ways other than just with words. Now, tears are a language of the inner man. Tears are a language. All kinds of tears, crocodile tears are not genuine tears, but they're tears which are a language of the heart. And the Bible says when Jesus looked at the city and saw its destiny, he wept. Now, you got to read, this is Jesus, man of God, a grown man, and he didn't just have a little tear in his eye. He didn't get all stoic, <laughs> you know, like in the movies. I want people to see I'm crying. Sometimes in one of those really emotional movies, I feel like letting a real ball out. Just like, see, get them all off. Get them all going. You, know? you all know everyone's trying to hold back. And just get them all going like that. Like that film. Remember that film, The Notebook? You know, just, just cry in that one there. You know, just let it go. And uh, we had one, we had the film we watched, Who Will Love My Children? It's about this true story about this woman who, who, her husband was an alcoholic and she had cancer, was dying. She had nine kids and she, she decided rather than have them taken by the state, she'd find a home for every one of them. So the stories about this woman finding a home for nine children. My God, did I cry on that one. <laughs> that really got me going, that one there, see. But that's all emotional stuff. See, this is a deep cry of the heart. It's okay to cry, by the way. Some of you all hang on. It's all great to weep. You want to really go. Now, this word, weep, Jesus wept, that word means he sobbed aloud with deep grief and pain and distress over unsaved people. The Bible says when you see Jesus, you see what God is like. And so Jesus had, now Jesus, remember, Jesus looking at the city and he knows that within about three days, they're going to turn on him, they're going to accuse him falsely, they're going to betray him. They're going to come at him like a mob and ask for him to be killed. And he wept over them. That's the heart of God. See? Now, we've got to realize that God has the same feelings towards our city, towards your school. So you go to see the school and you go, Now, listen, you want to see the school as God sees it and then begin to weep over it, knowing there'll be some young people die because they committed suicide, because they were full of despair. And the moment their eyes open up, they're in eternity of torment. There'll be other young people there and they're going to have a car accident and they're lost forever. And and you've got no feeling about it because you don't know how God sees it. God sees things differently. He sees it from eternity. Now, when Jesus looked at the city, this is what Jesus saw. Jesus saw it now today. He saw it in a few days, what they were going to do. And then he saw it in 40 years time, what was going to be done to the city because of what they'd do in three days time. He saw that in a short period of time, 40 years, within 40 years of his death, within that period of time, he said Titus would come against the city and would siege the city. No one was able to escape, and those who did escape, there was a rumor went around that the Jews had swallowed all their jewelry and gold, and so the, the, the mercenaries that were with the Romans cut them open and gutted them to get the gold and silver out of them. The whole of the city was broken down and destroyed from one end to the other, They literally bulldozed it down and destroyed the whole city. They killed people, man, woman, and child. It got so bad in the city, people were eating one another. And then the city was broken down and destroyed. And the Jews were dispersed, never to come back to that city until only about a generation ago, 1948, according to God's word. And Jesus saw that. He saw their destiny. You see, if you could see someone's destiny, you'll look at them differently. You look at them different. If you see people, you only see the outside, you find some kind of fault and you write them off. You don't like what they look like, don't like what they do, don't but, but if you could see their destiny and what God has planned for them and then the path they're going and where that's leading, then something happens inside you. And that was what Jesus had. He had this tremendous heart for the city. He says he wept over it. There's several things that let you, when someone cries and they sob, you know there's something going on. that be right? When you really sob. Now you can let tears go out you're touched, and then you can begin to cry, you're sad, but when you sob, it's coming from your belly, you've got very little control over it, you really are deeply burdened about what's going on, and that's how Jesus treated the city of unsaved people, how he treats your unsaved people. He's grief over them because he knows what's going to happen. Listen, let me give four things that the, tears to, the, the Jesus uh, cried, four things that, uh, that it expresses. Number one, that God cares for hardened sinners. God actually cares about them. Sometimes we think God doesn't care. He does. He cares about your friends. He cares about hardened sinners. He cares about people who have rejected him. He has tears. He loves every man, woman, and child in our city. There's no one here that he doesn't love. I was reading, a, a, I was talking to a guy and he was a hardened criminal and gang member and drug runner, hardened in Wellington, covered with tattoos. Name was Peter. Uh, he was a leader of a, a gang there, motorbike gang there. He was a hardened criminal. And uh, he got caught up with by the police eventually with all the stuff he did and was heaved into jail. And while he was in jail, he's still trying to run his uh, his, um, drug business through his wife. And anyway, someone come up to him and started to witness to him. And he said, if you talk to me anymore about Jesus, I'm going to kill you. The guy kept telling him about Jesus and he never did get to kill him. And... Anyway, he got so sick of it, in the end, he got in his cell one night, and he said, Jesus, if you're real, then you prove it to me, otherwise I'm going to get that guy. And he said, with that, he said, I don't know what happened to him. He said, someone came into that room. I couldn't see him, but he was there. And he said, everything that had been wrong in my life, suddenly it exploded, and I began to sob and sob and sob. He said, I was crying like a baby, and the tears, the, the, the sobs were going out, and I thought, what is this doing to my reputation? They say, I'm losing it. Cracked up in the jail. He got totally, totally saved in the jail. And totally transformed. He now runs an outreach to reach out and help young people. Amazing, see? And you'd think, oh, well, he deserved what he got. No, God still had a heart for him. I hear there's a tremendous move of God taking place in the Palmerston Jail. A lot of people being saved there, just one after the other. God reaching into them. Finally, they've Come to their senses, see? It's the heart of God. The first thing it tells us is he's, God cares for hardness, and sinners. The second thing, it, it proves the depth of his love. You don't sob about people you don't care about. God's love is genuine and authentic. He cares about people. He's, he's very interested in people. He wept and sobbed aloud. third thing it tells us is that God is concerned about our future. God, it says the Bible says, this is what Jesus said. He, as he cried over the sea, he sobbed and sobbed. Now, of course, you must imagine how surprised everyone was wow, there's Jerusalem, Jerusalem looking great, the temple's looking great, we're in a great thing, the crowds are following Jesus, and then in the middle of it, Jesus a goofy thing, he cries. <laughs> he always did weird things that seemed to just upset people. they had all quiet and reverent, and he shouts, you know. He did unusual things. He, didn't, he just broke the mold all the time. He was absolutely free in his spirit to express himself. Not like a lot of Christians I know are so hung up. It's true. There's too hung up to actually let go and just enjoy God. Why not? Why shouldn't we just let go and just enjoy him and just be ourselves? Some people go to pubs and drink a lot so they can do that. We don't need to. They're just full of the Holy Ghost. just let go to God. Let go of that silly control and your foolish pride. And here it is. So Jesus foresaw. Notice what he says. As he cried over it, he said, if only. How many have ever said if only? <laughs> if only I hadn't done it. Now, when we say if only, we're really upset about something. Is that right? If only I'd gone out just 10 minutes later, I wouldn't have had that accident. Cost me a fortune. If only I hadn't gone to Wellington, I wouldn't smash my car. You know, paying thousands to fix it. If only. If, on, if only, as, as Jesus said, if only. Now, there was a huge regret. And what he was regretting was, if only you knew what would bring you to a place of peace? But he said, your opportunity came and went and you've missed it. And now judgment will come. And terrible thing to say over a city. Terrible thing to say over a city. And, he, and said, so he cried, if only. Now, when a person says if only, it means in their heart, they're saying, I don't want this to happen. I wish this hadn't happened. If there was anything I could do to change this, I would change it. Would that be right? When you say, if only, you mean, if only I had done something different, this would never have happened. We think, if I could have done something different, it would have So, he, he expresses his tremendous concern over their eternal destiny. And so God is just concerned. He was concerned not only about Jerusalem. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about your friends. If only, I often think, if only I had listened. If only God had sent someone earlier. If only. I wish. Glad I did say yes eventually. See? If only. So there's a huge. So this tells us then God's tremendous concern about the, the, the consequences of rejecting Him. Tremendous concern. He knows there's an eternal destiny separated from Him. Revelation 20, verse 15 says there comes a time when there's an eternal punishment and pain and suffering for people who have rejected God. Now, there's only two destinies: heaven and there's another place called the Lake of Fire where people burn. We shared a lot about it this morning and about one man who we know is in there. We don't know his name, but we know he's there. And we'll ask this morning as we looked, we found out why he was there and why he wasn't saved. Okay? Next week we'll talk about Lazarus and why he was up in a better place and how he got to be there. We'll talk about that then. That's a good thing to know about that. See, so the last thing is tears reveal God's heart to save people. God's got a heart to save people. He, want, he said, if only you knew the things that make for your peace. In other words, he said, you had the chance in history to change. 2,000 years of prophets have been coming, talking about this day, and when the day comes and you say no. That's a tragic thing. But you've got people that do the same, friends you know, and you go to them and you go to them and you invite them to this and reach out to them for that, and they say no. Why don't you let God give you a heart for them? And out of that heart, what will do? You'll pray for them. Out of that heart, you'll reach for them. In Reverend uh, Nelson, it tells us in Romans 5, therefore, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God if we will respond to Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it. And of course, people think, well, you know, if God was a loving God, why would he do that? Why would he allow people to have an eternal consequence? If God was really a loving God, how come he let Jerusalem get destroyed and all the Jews dispersed and that persecution under Hitler and and persecutions, how come he lets that happen? Have you ever heard people ask that kind of thing? They do ask that kind of thing. How come? Good God, bad things in the world. How come God doesn't do something about it? Answer is, he does. See, let me just share with you a couple of things and we'll finish up. So how can a good God send people to hell? How can he do it? How can he do it? Matthew 25, verse 41 and verse 46, it tells us two destinations, heaven and hell. How can God, who loves people, send people to a place as terrible as that? You know, and maybe maybe you think, well, maybe he should never have let people fall into sin in the beginning. See, the reason, there's only one reason and one reason alone that people go to a place called hell. And this is the reason. They live in sin, reject God's ways, and God has to do something about it. He just has to do something. I'll show you why he has to do something about it in just a moment. So people think, well, you know, God shouldn't allow man to sin. Why did, if God's God and so loving and so good and so powerful, how come he didn't step in and stop Adam sinning? That would have been a good start. Why did he let Adam sin and cause all this trouble? How come if God's a God of love, he lets all these, all these wars? And it's very, very simple. Wars and conflicts come because of sin. So you go back to Adam and say, well, if God's a God of love, he shouldn't allow man to sin. But here's the deal. You have to understand that. God is a powerful God. In fact, all power belongs to him and he's absolutely in control. But the thing is that God gave man a free will. He designed you and I for a relationship and for partnership with him. He had a work for us to do. Now, you can't have a relationship if you control a person. You just can't. You either got relationship where they have a free will or you don't have relationship. So if you want a relationship of friendship and love, then the one thing you've got to choose, the one thing you've got to decide to do is allow people to make choices. And, and so God gives us a free will, gives us a chance, and he holds us responsible for our choices. So Adam, he said, listen, Adam, you walk this way, that's a path and a great destiny. Walk that way, there's going to be sin and death and pain and problems. He said, this is the deal. You choose. I give you the freedom. You choose. If you love me, trust me, walk with me, and you're going to find life's going to grow from one level of goodness to another. But if you walk against me, you're going to find go, you're going to find going to go real bad for you. See, so sin is not God's fault. When you, when you look and people say, well, you know, how come there's so much things in the world? Why has God allowed Very simple. God is good. God designed man to express a relationship with him and to fulfill his purpose in the earth. Man said no to God, so there's problems. Where do wars come? The Bible's very clear. People fight and argue and they want and they destroy one another. Where's God in the middle of it? Well, God waits for the opportunity to come in. He still waits to be invited. He still waits for you to, to, to open your life, open your heart to him. So where is God? Well, God, very simply. See, here's the trouble is that when Adam sinned and God said, Hey, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? He's over here, Lord, hiding. Oh, you're hiding. Why are you hiding? Did you do something wrong? Did you eat the fruit I told you not? to? Thank you that woman you gave me. And notice what happened. He's blaming God for his sin. You want to know that the world's in a mess? Simple, sin. It's nothing, it's simple, sin, people sin. People do bad stuff because there's bad things in them. You follow someone's life and watch what they do, you see what's in them. Good stuff in there, good stuff comes out. Bad stuff in there, bad stuff comes out. And how does it come about? Sin, we choose to do wrong. And so God holds us to account, there's consequences for sin. And so God has deliberately limited himself to work in a partnership with us, and he gives us room. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, it says, when someone messes up their life, they blame God for it. It's no blaming God, but God didn't cause the sin. God gave us the choice, and we sinned. And so you've got to realize that you're responsible for your choices. Okay, then. Here's the second thing. That we say, well, you know, even if we have sinned, how come God just doesn't forgive us and get us all over with, and we don't have to worry about this hell thing, you know? Why don't he, just, why don't he show his love and be all forgiving? Well, it's very simple, because God's not just a loving God. God's also a holy God, a God of justice. And justice requires that things are done right. See? See, so this is the thing you get with God. He's an awesome God. He's, he's holy and he's loving and he's compassionate. And he's powerful. You've got lots of things about him, you see. But you see, he's not just a loving God who's nice. See, we, we kind of have this concept of God of being wussy, wussy, washy, sort of love, just love people. Oh, Jesus wept. Oh, how lovely. loves people, you know. Come on now. There's, there's a lot more to him than that. That same Jesus that wept over Jerusalem, what did he do five minutes later? Walked into the church which was supposed to represent him to the people, and got a whip out and beat everyone up. Why? Because he's compassionate and he's holy. He loves to give mercy to people, but he also stands for what is right with no compromise. No compromise. No compromise. And so the Bible tells us the the Lord is a righteous God. He loves things which he loves justice. He loves justice. God loves justice. There's a, there's a verse somewhere, I may even have it written down here, Zephaniah 3 5, and God talks about uh, God being a God of justice. He's a just God. He loves right. He loves things to be done right. Now, here's the thing imagine living in a world, it's bad enough some of the things that go on as it is, but, the, but to think that God wasn't just and right and wouldn't call people to account, that would be a terrible place to live. But God is just. Everyone pays, pays their. They all come out and meet with him and pay the price. All come up. So here's the thing. Why doesn't, God, why doesn't God let people off? Very simply, because he requires us to be responsible for our actions. He requires us to grow up. So there's the dilemma God has. He loves people, wants to let them off. But his holy God has to actually require them to be responsible. So how did God deal with this? How did God solve that problem? Really simple. God said, I know what I'll do. I'll send my only son into the world. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he sent his only son into the world demonstrate the love of God. When Jesus went to the cross, there are two things, at least two things happen. One, God demonstrated he's a holy God and a just God, and sin was fully exposed for what it is, and Jesus paid the full penalty. That's justice. Sin requires a punishment. The other side of it is God extends his love to us if we will respond and receive what Jesus did we can then be forgiven. So God does offer to forgive, but a certain way. God is not wishy-washy. He doesn't say, oh, I just love everybody. I just love the whole world. I'm just going to forgive them all. It not work like that. God says, I love everyone, and I do forgive them, but there's a way to obtain that forgiveness. There is only one way to obtain that forgiveness. There's only one way to actually position yourself so you can walk with God, and that's actually to understand that he loved you so much he sent someone to die in your place. And if he sent someone to die in your place, there is only one way you can actually make yourself right, and that is by responding to Jesus Christ, responding to him, turning from the things which separate us from God. See, it's not just about your eternal destiny. It's actually more than that. It's about... Walking with God and fulfilling his purpose in your life. So, tonight we see God is a God of tremendous love. In Romans 5, i finish with this last verse. It tells us this. See what amazing love God has demonstrated towards us. In that while we were sinners, he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place on the cross. And if God would do this while we were a sinner, love us that much, how much more now will he give us everything we need to live a life that's powerful, productive, and fruitful? Can you see the heart of God? He will go to almost any length to save us. I say almost any length. He'll never compromise justice. Because God is just, everyone has to give account. No exceptions. Everyone has to face eternity, no exceptions. Everyone must face the question, have you dealt with sin and put your life right with God? Did you walk with God on the earth? And if you never came right with God and walk with God on the earth, with great grief, God cannot receive you into a place you certainly are not prepared for. You have to go to a place more suitable for someone who is a rejecter of God. Think about it. So... Does God love people? His heart wept over people when they refused his offer of love. When they refused forgiveness, they refused his offer of eternal life, they refused the kingdom, they refused him and finally rejected him and crucified him publicly and openly like a criminal, naked on a cross, put to shame. So we see sin is that bad. When God who made the world comes in and they treat him that way, This shows what sin is really like. There is no exception to this. Every one of us has an eternal destiny. And if you've joined to God and you walk with God, you can be guaranteed you enjoy that eternal destiny and have them with him. But if you have decided God has got no place in your life, then You're one that God will weep over and send people to over and over again to say, change your mind, change your heart. I really want to help you and get your life aligned on the path of eternal destiny in heaven.